Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right. Asking why episode 50, big number 50. All right. We had, that's right. And we got Andy Bond with us, which is a great guest for the 50th episode. Yes. Glad to be back. Am I the first three-time guest? Yeah. You're the first three-time guest, man. Man, We should have worn party hats or I something. I know. That's right. A little. Yeah. Welcome back, man. Glad to be back. <clears throat> yeah. Tell everybody who doesn't know you kind of who you are and <clears throat> what you do. Yeah. Uh, my name's Andy. Uh, I am a pastoral counselor here on staff. Uh, also have a certification in working with sex addiction, porn addiction. Um, I see clients, uh, teenage boys, and uh, pretty much anyone else uh, age-wise that goes up from there. Um, you know, and I say, you know, stay pretty busy. Yeah, you do. You're doing a great job, man. Um, yeah, that <clears throat> leads us to kind of why we're doing this episode. So. For y'all listening, this episode is going to be about raising teenage boys and kind of the things that they're struggling with in 2022 and what we're seeing from a clinical perspective, from a pastoral perspective. And Andy's got both of those, but also a 13-year-old boy, so mm-hmm. give him a shout out. <clears throat> yes. Oh, yeah, Drew. Yeah, he's he's uh, testing the patience that yeah. I have, right? <laughs> and uh, I know I test his as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough having that first teenager, especially one that is so similar to ourselves, right? Like sometimes I just want to punch the me out of him <laughs> and it's hard. <clears throat> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Kind of like we want to punch ourselves sometimes when we look in the mirror. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about, um, Heather, what are some of the things that you're seeing in young boys um, that you want to give us a wide view and then we'll kind of okay. key in on those? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> man, uh, First, I guess I would say the struggles they're having with feeling accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very isolating time um, with COVID and all the stuff that's been going on for, you know, close to two years now. And seeing the toll that it's taken on these young men um, that come in and, you know, as, as we'll kind of get to probably later in the podcast, the, the time that they've spent on their devices mm-hmm. and how it's kind of progressed into um, addictions in all different areas and yeah. stuff they struggle with. Um, probably a lot of what I see is they have difficulty expressing their emotions. Mm. Um, and, you know, most of the young men I see, I start seeing them right at around age 12, I think is the youngest client I have. And the parents will, you know, bring them in and talk about, hey, you know, this is what's going on with. So and so um, is the focus usually on their behavior. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, it's their behavior. Right. So how, they, how do they come in and talk about that? Usually, they come in and just say, you know, these are the things that we see. You know, that 
little Sam is struggling with this, this, and this. He's being disrespectful. Uh, you know, all the things that as parents we can notice in our kids. Um, but I'm uh, very direct with the parents and I make sure they understand that, you know, they can't just drop their sons off and expect me to fix them. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not my job. Um, and then my ultimate goal when I'm working with teenage boys is to get them comfortable enough to tell their parents what's going on in their life. Yeah, that's good. Because most of those parents that drop their sons off, they need to be in an office down the hallway. Right. So they need to be going to therapy themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say that, that, you know, that's been my experience. I did in-home therapy with teenagers for five years and worked at the children's home and did that kind of stuff. And yeah, we call that the, I, for people listening, you know, we call the person who needs to be in therapy, quote unquote, the identified patient or identified client. And everybody kind of goes, well, this person's got this behavioral issue, so they need help. Yep. And they don't really see systemically how they're playing into that mm-hmm. and that they have to be a part of that help and that growth. And Yeah. And probably one of the biggest things I've seen um, is these teenage boys are being raised by a generation of parents. And I'm going I'm <clears> to <throat> kind of hang out on the dads here for a second or the male role models in the lives of these young men. Um who kind of come from that uh, era of, you know, suck it up, buttercup, you know, toughen up. Um, I mean, the stuff that our coaches said to us and, you know, th- there wasn't much room for showing emotion. You know, yeah. it's kind of if you start crying, we're going to give you something to cry about. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with the dads not being healthy. And that's how they were raised. And that's mm-hmm. how their dads were raised. And the only reason I'm even aware of any of this is because, I started going to therapy and in 2018 and it really helped open my eyes to what I was doing to my oldest. Well, my older two, cause they're 14 months apart, but yeah. with drew and, um, I was very dismissive, you know, when he would cry, I'd be, you know, suck it up, man. Stop being a little sissy. Uh, and that's the, um, the nice word. That's the nice version of it, you know? And you know, when he, didn't do something, you know, it was kind of that work harder, right? You know, you got to suck it up, son. If you want to play, if you want to do this, you know, you have to step up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never, you know, the first, I don't know, eight years of his life, that was the mentality that I had. And so that's what I'm seeing with, because I'm 38. So most of the teens I see, their parents are around my age. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you could probably remember stories of coaches and, men in your life that that was their mentality. Absolutely. And so now we're starting to see this, uh, I don't want to call them a more sensitive, um, generation. Why but, don't you want to call them that? Well, cause it makes it seem like, I don't want it to seem like something's wrong with them because sensitive has a bad connotation. It does. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that for a second. Sure. Cause I think, you know, we got plenty of time. That's why we like the podcast. Yeah. But I think what, when people, when men think of other men as being sensitive, why is that a negative connotation? Like, why don't we want boys to be sensitive? Yeah. What's that mean? Shows weakness, you know, and all the things that go with vulnerability and what comes with that, you know, no one wants to be seen as weak. Um, and so as a father, you know, knowing the road that we've traveled, which all of us <clears throat> have traveled different paths, um, we don't want our sons to be taken advantage of. We don't uh. want them to go to middle school and be, you know, the kid getting picked on the kid that, you know, everyone makes fun of. So we kind of try and, uh, 
you know, overdo it in the way that we can raise them. Because if you're too sensitive, you know, the world's going to eat you alive, mm-hmm. you know, and all those cheesy sayings, you know? Yeah. And there, there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the word that I would say that we need to use is we want our kids to be resilient, mm-hmm. right. To be able to deal with hardship, deal with heartache, deal with conflict and stress in life and not fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what most dads, hopefully they're, kind of foundational goal is but they're coming from the wrong place yes but we're also wanting our sons to do something that most fathers and even mothers aren't willing to do because they're losing their crap on their husband or their wife and the children are watching this so we're expecting them to act a certain way but we're not we're not modeling modeling that Mm -hmm. you know Hey, you can't, you can't act this way, but you can't be disrespectful, but I'm going to be disrespectful. Yeah. You got mom, you know, throwing a plate at dad or all this stuff. I mean, we've heard all those stories of, of working with adults. All right. So why are they in here? Well, it pretty much always goes back to childhood. I mean, you get back to how they were raised, the family of origin. And at some point that cycle has to be broken. Right. Because when you don't know how to deal with your emotions and don't know how to sensitively, sensitively dig into how you feel, Mm -hmm. then you're actually out of control. Yep. You know, you're not strong. Mm -hmm. You know, strength is understanding what's going on and being able to control those feelings and then have a positive outcome from it. Mm -hmm. So anger, right? You can be angry and not act on it. Mm -hmm. The feeling of anger is not that big of a deal, right? Like it's not a wrong thing to be angry, but the acting on the anger is the problem. Mm -hmm. It is, but I also work with the, the teen clients, I get that a lot. Like our teenage son is just so angry, you know, all the time, every little thing sets him mm-hmm. off. And I tell the clients or the, the parents, um, you know, anger is a secondary emotion. Yep. You know, he didn't just go straight to angry. He felt, you know, overwhelmed. He felt abandoned. He felt, you know, disrespected, you know, because as parents, we're the, supposed to be the authority figures in the house, mm-hmm. but we're still raising little human beings that deserve respect. Yeah. And kind of like you said a few seconds ago, it's like we want to be respected, but we're going to disrespect our kids, especially our sons. And and I, I see it all the time. Yeah, I find it interesting. A lot of times I've worked with people on like the spanking issue, and we won't get into the debate around that. But it's funny when dads are, and moms both are all for it when there's a boy, and then they have their second kid who's a daughter, and they're like, oh, no, 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 we, you know, we don't ever spank her, or we don't ever yeah. yell at her, or we don't ever, as if the boy has less emotional trauma mm-hmm. than the girl. Yep. And I think that's just what we're talking about is like, that's the cultural context in which boys are being raised in mm-hmm. is that their dads and their dads have never had to deal with their emotions or been allowed to Yep, one or the other. And so there's just a belief system that boys are not as sensitive and they don't see, need the same emotional things as girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it is a big contributor to why the divorce rate is what it is. Mm-hmm. Because these boys grow up and turn into men, which are actually a lot of them man boys, and they haven't learned how to regulate their emotions. They don't know how to talk about it. So, uh, and I did it for so long when mm-hmm. I was, I'd come home from the fire station and I didn't want to talk about how I felt. You know, I wanted to live life and it drove a wedge between Michelle and I because she was like, talk to me, tell me, let's, let's talk about your emotions. Cause she had been in therapy before. Right. I and, never and had. And she's been. a girl. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Because let's not be, let's not, let's be honest. I mean, there's a difference, right? There's, oh, sure. it's definitely easier for women to talk about emotional things on a spectrum <clears throat> than it is for 
us two. One, I think biologically, yep. but two, because of how our brains are wired, but two, you know, because of the just huge cultural generational kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's a, it's it's more acceptable, you know, and, you know, if you see a woman crying, you know, it's all right. If you see a man crying, at least for me, man, something bad must have happened. Like I thought it like that for a long time mm-hmm. and not being able to process those emotions and. Uh, especially as a parent of a teenage boy, you know, if, if I don't have the ability to sit down with him and listen to him and him tell me how he feels, man, we're not going to have much of a relationship at all. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the, that's been the pushback um, when it comes to the, you know, the toxic masculinity conversation. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what do you think toxic masculinity is? And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So to me, uh, or is I, that a thing to you? Is that a real thing? Oh no, it's a thing to me. Yeah, okay. yeah, the toxic masculinity. You know, when I was a, uh, you know, I've been on the podcast before to talk about my time as a firefighter, but man, that that culture is just toxic masculinity. You know, is who who can tell the crudest joke? Who can not show emotion? You know, like you know, if you cry, I mean, because several times, and I would get in my truck and cry. I wasn't going to let the other guys see it. So it was very toxic for me because if we had a certain run and it affected me like inside, I'm talking, I was just shattered from seeing whatever it was, a dead child, you know, I, it was, it started eating away at me in the inside Mm -hmm. and I didn't get in my truck until 3 PM the next day. And then I would let it all out. Right. And even then I didn't really talk about it. Right. Would you say you let it all out or fell apart? Fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're talking about is eventually men will cry, eventually men will break, eventually mm-hmm. men will be weak, right? And that's kind of the problem is that it, it is it is weak once you've gotten to the point where you can't even control it and mm-hmm. you can't do anything but sit in your car and cry or you know punch a hole in the wall. Yep. But the reality is is what we're talking about is trying to teach men and boys that the strength is is in understanding the emotions, mm-hmm. being able to be aware of what's going on internally, and to be able to kind of mitigate the damage as we go, so that mm-hmm. it doesn't just blow up at the end. Yeah, and you know, kind of going back a few months, I know I shared this with you when Drew was having a tough time at school, mm-hmm. and you know, even in twenty, this was twenty twenty one. It was before the new year, um, but man, it was that that the boys will be boys mentality. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up having to meet with the principal of the school. Um, It it did not go very well just because um, generationally speaking, um, that older generation uh, still, I think, has that mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, of, you know, the boys will work it out on their own. You know, that's a part of growing up. It's part of the maturation process. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, the part of it is, but we have to be able to let, because, like, you know, when my son had come to me and told me what he was struggling with, um, for the longest time, my response would have been, well, buddy, you got to punch him in the face. You know, <laughs> that's what you got to do. Yeah. Um, and while he ultimately ended up doing that, uh, he broke his hand and, uh, you know, it was a, a unique season for him and all of us. Um, I also said, you have to let out, you have to let your emotions out. Like we need to talk about it. And, you know, it, it was it was a very difficult for me as a father of a young man to see him. Cause I've been so, since I've started going to therapy and started working here as a counselor, um, I try and let my kids know it's okay to talk about how you feel. 
And so whenever he finally did that and it was met with, well, that's just boys being boys, essentially, you know, there was no punishment for the aggressor. Um, man, it, it ended up, it, it, it crushed him and it crushed me because I felt like I was lying to my son. Right. Like I'm telling him, Hey buddy, you be come vulnerable. and tell me be vulnerable. And then when we're sitting there and there's, there's no consequences for the actions, um, how am I supposed to get my son to buy into what I'm telling him? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the toxic masculinity culture that you get inside of locker rooms, no matter what the sport is or at firehouses or on military bases or whatever, when you get a bunch of guys together who, again, are most of which are man boys, they don't know how to handle their emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, man. So what, what do you think, um, how did Drew learn that lesson then out of that situation? Because it didn't go well. And it, and I think this is the important part, is it's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the idea is that if you're vulnerable, that it'll just magically make the other person vulnerable. Like that's not the lesson either. Nope, it's not. Right? I mean, what, what we need to teach our kids is you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to share, mm-hmm. but most people aren't going to respond that way. Yeah. So where's the kind of connection? Yeah. I think that right there said it pretty good. You know, I had to, to let Drew know that, buddy... We live in a world that is filled with emotionally unhealthy people. Most of the time it's because they don't really know that they need help. Mm-hmm. I didn't until it, the walls came crashing down. I thought everything was fine. So until we know that we need help, um, there's nothing anybody can do for us. Mm-hmm. And so for Drew, the teachable moment in this, one of them was, buddy, you have to continue to do what you know is right. You have to... Um, handle things the right way. And then again, most people are like, well, what's the right way? Well, the initial reaction, if someone comes up and says something ugly to us, is to say something ugly back. If someone comes up and hits us, is to hit them back, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really solve anything. It makes right. us feel good for a little bit. Um, but I was able to use it to teach him that even adults, even authority figures, even me as his dad sometimes, I'm going to miss the mark and not not be there to support him emotionally every time in the way that I would like. Right. Cause you got, you know, other people have stuff going on too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, ha- what, what you're pointing to is I think teaching our kids that early on that other people's emotions, whether positive or negative have nothing to do with ours. Yes. Like that our worth and value and security can only come ultimately from one place. And that's in our opinion from God. Yep. And that as long as he sees us as worthy and valuable and lovable and enough, mm-hmm. if someone else doesn't, it's probably because they don't think they're enough. Yes. You know, the number one thing about bullies is they're insecure, mm-hmm. you know? And so if we can teach our kids through interactions, the depth and like the understanding of emotions and where it comes from and how it, how it plays out in other men, then it actually gives them a, a you know, a leg up in, in the world. Mm-hmm. They're going to be far ahead of the other peers and the other people who have no clue what's going on. Yeah, because when they get... Long term. Sure. Because when they get older and their boss comes in and screams at them and they haven't done anything wrong, um, their initial thought hopefully is not going to be, oh, I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe he just got a bad phone call on the way to work. Maybe he's got something going on with his wife. Maybe one of his kids is sick. Like, there's so much that in our society, you know, we're very selfish. We don't extend the grace that we like to have extended to us, you know, so it can reduce 
the the amount of potential conflict when I realized that if someone cuts me off in traffic and flips me off, you know, I have no idea what's going on in their life. Right. Used to, I would have sped up around them and flipped them off myself. <laughs> exactly. But what good does that do? And yeah. now that I realize they have stuff, we have to be mindful that everyone has a story. And that's what I had to tell Drew. It's like, buddy, we don't know what these other young men go home to. Right. I don't know what their mom and dads do. Um, now, my experience here would tell me that um, when kid, a lot of it's a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, these these teen boys that come into my office have learned what they're doing from somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's not always mom and dad. Sometimes it's brothers, sisters, cousins, school. Uh, so just sometimes it's a thing that happened when they were little that they've never told anybody about, and mm-hmm. you know, that happens a lot. It does a whole lot. Yeah. So. What do you think um, are some other major issues that they're dealing with besides that? I mean, we could dive into that toxic masculinity thing a long time. Oh, yeah. um, but what else? I think like most people, uh, comparison. Yeah. You know, we live in a society that is full of it. It's a social media, you know, comparing themselves to other athletes. You know, well, I'm not as good as him, you know, and it creates just this mindset of, of not being enough. And, you know, I'll continue to refer to Drew because he's the only teenage teenager I have now, and he's a teenage son. Um, man, we've tried it all. We've tried baseball. We've tried soccer. We've tried basketball, football. Um, and he's wanting to take up golf. And I told him, I was like, hey, buddy, let's just hang tight on that. Let's, let's one thing at a time. Um, when before, you know, I come from a, a football family, you know, like that's what we did. I played football growing up in high school. And I've realized that some, not every kid is going to excel where as a father, I would like them to excel, you know, cause most of your dads want their kid to be the good athlete. You know, not many dads are <clears throat> excited to take their sons to piano lessons and it's, it's bull crap, but it's just the culture we live in here in the South. We are a very sports driven, uh, culture. Yeah. And so I tell Drew and I'm like, Hey buddy, I would love to see you playing the keys one day. I would love to see you playing the guitar. Like I want, you're going to do something, but I'm going to let you choose what you do. Mm -hmm. And for him, uh, there's a lot of comparison because uh, like most people, even adults that come in our offices, they're comparing their lives to somebody else's. So I would say comparison uh, really across the board for all of us in 2022 is something that we can struggle with, but we're kind of focusing on the teen boys today and how that affects them. Yeah. What else? Uh, worth, you know, I think that, uh, again, as a father who made my son feel unworthy many times, I mean, I remember walking out of, um, T ball at Dixie drew was five years old, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, or aren't from this area, T ball at Dixie, uh, is almost like, the WWE, like it, it's mayhem out there, right? <laughs> like you have these, these dads, uh, and I was one of them like screaming at our five and six year old to run and get a ball. And then like just reaming them out when they make a bad throw. And back in, in those days, like, and I think still now like five and six, you get the ball back to the pitcher. Like, so usually the most athletic kids there, the one that can catch, you know, cause some of these dads, like, as soon as the doctor's like, it's a boy, they throw a baseball at their kid. Right. You know, it's like, we're, he's going to be in the pros. 
Well, I remember leaving Dixie and Drew, again, five, oh, it breaks my heart to even think about his face. And he said, Dad, um, <laughs> give me a second. Yep. Already making me cry. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Dad, why can't I play pitcher? And I said, because you're not good enough, son. Mm. And man, <laughs> I know it stuck with him because we've talked about it since then. And, you know, I, I work with my kids. I'm very open with my son on my struggles. You know, he knows a lot about my story. You know, I have uh, stood up in front of at uh, Man Church and told my testimony. He knows about my struggles with pornography, sex addiction, like the works. Um, because I want him to know that I'm not to be put on a pedestal. Like I want my son to see weakness and vulnerability, but that if I, I, that's like top five of times in his life where I can remember the toxic masculinity that my, me comparing my son to someone else's son, uh, and telling my son that he wasn't good enough, man, mm, obviously it, it bothers me to this day <laughs> yeah because i can't undo it <clears throat> yeah no doubt but i have to teach him that daddy daddy did not i didn't know then what i know now mm -hmm. but i also don't expect him to just forget about it and we have to talk about it right uh and one day he may be he may i mean he already sees Hasim, you know and i love that my kids he loves coming to see Hasim. like I'm not too proud to have my kids in counseling. Right. Uh, my daughter's been uh, in Natalie's group. So, um, but yes, that one, the, so going back to the struggles I have is the, a worth issue, mm -hmm. you know, cause there's a lot of things. That's just one example of ways that I uh, diminished my son's value based off of my expectations of what I wanted him to do. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, man. I know that's super vulnerable and sure. I know we've talked about it before and I've heard some of it and, mm -hmm. um, at the same time, like, you know, you just saying it, it hits us and we all have those failures. You know, mm -hmm. there's not a dad on earth that doesn't have some of those failures yeah. and some of those comments and some of those moments we wish we could take back. And I think the most important thing is what I've seen you do. And what I think is such a testimony to the gospel and to the work God can do in therapy and, and just in life is, you know, you've, that was a rupture. You mm -hmm. know, we call that a rupture when something happens <coughs> that we don't want to happen and that does damage, mm -hmm. but you spent a lot of energy repairing Yes. You know, and going back in his childhood, I mean, in his early teen years and, and going, remember this moment? That was me. Mm -hmm. I take responsibility for that. That was not you. And now let's build on that and build on that. And, mm -hmm. and the beautiful thing about that is, is kids are super resilient. Yes. You know, they yearn for their father's approval. They yearn for attention. They yearn to be enough. Mm -hmm. And if you'll just tell them they are, even if you've said they're not, and you'll play that out consistently, mm -hmm. then you repair that and rebuild that. I mean, neuropathway, rebuild that brain, re rebuild that trauma. And, you know, they don't have to let it be a thing that affects them the rest of their life. Sure. Because you've repaired it, he's not going to be in college thinking about the time he was on the pitcher's mound mm -hmm. and going, well, yeah, my dad, that might have been true. He's going to have a hundred other scenarios moving forward that remind him that that was not. Yes. And I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but the authenticity of taking responsibility for where we've screwed up actually brings so much healing because then they can take that pressure off themselves mm -hmm. to that worth and value. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think teaching our sons uh, and our daughters, but again, this podcast is more aimed towards teen boys, 
to to embrace their failure and fail with grace. Yeah. You know, cause I, one of my favorite movies is gladiator. And whenever, uh, Marcus Aurelius is going to, uh, name Maximus, the new emperor of Rome, right? If, mm-hmm. if you hadn't seen that movie, it's wonderful. Spoiler. Don't watch it with the kids. <laughs> um, and his, his son, uh, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix, wonderful movie comes to him and the dad breaks the news to him. And the dad tells his son, um, he says, your failures as a son are from my failures as a father. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that saying because if I can't be vulnerable with my son about my failures, my struggle with opioids, I mean, again, I, I got a list like most people, yep. but my son knows about that. That way when he comes to talk to me, I have credibility with my son because I am so open with my story. I got nothing to hide. And that's another thing I teach him is that when you get out in front of these things, you know, the, the enemy, the devil, he has a shame gun for all of us. Right. And so when we step out in front of it, whether it be with our failure, uh, just anything else that causes us shame and we bring it out to the light where it can be healed, we essentially take that one shame bullet away, away from him out of his gun. And so the more transparent we are and the more vulnerable we are and we don't have stuff to hide, the less he is going to be able to attack us because he's never going to stop lying to us, but we don't have to willingly give him the bullets to shoot us with. Yeah, it's super good, man. Yeah, I mean, and there's scripture, two scriptures come to mind. One is learning to boast in our weaknesses, Mm -hmm. you know, and why do we do that? Because we don't have ego. Yeah. We can admit that we have weakness. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of pride that says we don't have any, I need to be tough and I need to be strong and I need to push through and I don't need to let anybody see. Like as a Christian, you you can't actually be biblical and live that way. Mm-hmm. Correct. You know, to, you, to follow Christ, to follow the way, you can't cover up all your insecurities. You actually have to boast in them mm-hmm. because the goal is to make it about Jesus and yep. His sacrifice and His, you know, healing of you and your mm-hmm. sin and your burdens and your baggage, not hide it like they're not there. Yep. As if you're good enough and have done enough and are strong enough not to have any weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And then the other is the, you know, confess your sins to one another and then be healed. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing like sitting down with my friends and confessing to them the things I've done in the last week that I wish I wouldn't have done. And until I get there, it's just running through my head. Yep. Satan's shooting that gun. Boom, you did this. Boom, you did this. Boom, you said this. Boom, you failed here. You know, and I know now enough to kind of put on the armor and go, and that's not true. But man, until I share it with a brother... Yep. And they go, oh, yeah, me too. I did that same thing this week. Or here's my things that I failed at, or here's what I've done. The just release. You're yes. right. It just, it takes, he's like, uh, I ain't got nothing to shoot at you with. This is a really funny analogy, but you remember the movie Eight Mile? Did you ever watch that? Yeah, of course I yeah. watched it. So Eight if you Mile. haven't seen Eight Mile, you might not know what I'm talking about. But at the end, again, spoiler, if you haven't seen it, it's on you. Uh, Eminem is in this rap battle. And you got, you know, the, the, the major bad guy, Papa Doc, Papa Doc. And then you got Eminem and, uh, rabbit. And there's like these three battles that happen at the end to see what happened in a rap battle. You know, you, you talk trash to each other and you call them out on their weaknesses and you call them out on their failures and you call them out on their insecurities. Um, and so these, they go back and forth with this. And at the end, Eminem has to go first, which is the hard part. Cause you, mm-hmm. that you give them all the information. Well, he just says all the terrible stuff about himself. Yep. 
you know, when he says, I'm, I'm a piece of white trash, he says, you I'm know, a bum. I'm, I'm I do a... live in a trailer with my mom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm a piece of white trash. I say it proudly. Exactly. What else can you say about me? I watched that movie like a couple of weeks ago. For Love sure. Yeah. And so it's just so good. He, he lists all these things out and then he hands the guy the microphone and the microphone, he just holds it and he has nothing to say because Eminem's already said all the trash that he could talk. He's mm-hmm. already admitted all of the horrible things about himself that he knows he's going to say. Yep. And it's like, that's the same thing we do the devil. I think I've never thought about it in that way until right now, but I think it's great. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's what we get to do is by confessing and sharing and being in true community as men, mm-hmm. there's nothing else to say. Yep. And I can say that now, you know, I mean, I remember, uh, man, what was that? 2000, I'll say 11 or 12, I'm guessing, but when Ashley Madison broke online mm-hmm. and everybody's emails came out and their names were on there and their debit cards were on there and people found out that, you know, these men were, you know, the biggest thing is like, well, that's just what got shown. Mm-hmm. You want to show your last year's, you know, history on your search bar? Yep. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. everybody acts as if their history is clean and they're, you know, they don't have any problems mm-hmm. when they're judging other men and other people. But yep. the reality is, is we all got stuff. Every one of us. And teaching our young men, our teens, um, that we have to expose those things. Yes. You know, again, getting out in front of them. You know, like, like, like B rabbit did, like, I'm not going to let you say this about me because I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause people are probably thinking it. So let's just, let's call it out, man. You know, I, I love going elephant hunting, man. I'm, I'm the first one to bring out, you know, talk about an elephant in the room. That's right. It's good, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I know one of the things that we talk about all the time is just social media, technology, pornography. So talk about that a little bit about what do you think, you know, we'll go back through these, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's take it from the top, man. Social media. Um, it doesn't matter what platform it is. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Um, it is a cancer. And I had social media for a really long time. But after, you know, learning from you, Clint, so much and, and the statistics and um, I got text you this, uh, what, about two or three weeks ago. I've texted you this before, but just recently I was like, dude, I thought you were blowing it out of proportion, man. Like I thought you were just a doomsday tinfoil hat. Social media is the <laughs> devil dude. But just, I would say 50% of my caseload stems from people who are on social media comparing mm-hmm. and that makes them feel like they're not enough. So yeah, social media and what people see versus reality, you know, we know it's not real. Like even people, and it is gaining a little more traction as far as understanding that's the highlight reels of people's lives. And right. That's the thing people have heard now, right? You're yes. comparing your normal life to someone's highlight reel. At some point, someone's heard a pastor or somebody talk about that. Yes. And, but let's take it from a teen boy perspective, uh, the ones that are athletes. So if you have one that, you know, they put their highlight catch of middle school football on their own Facebook, right? Like everybody's like, man, this kid's an awesome athlete. And he may be, but what they don't show you is the 15 balls he dropped before that as he was trying to make the catch. So watching a kid, you know, Drew likes to watch um, sports videos on YouTube. So when, as he's watching them, I'm like, hey buddy, it says highlight reel right there. Like that means that is the high points of it. So social media, that's all we get. And these parents that allow their kids um, to have loaded weapons 
and get on social media and don't check behind them, um, man, it's job security for you and I, um, but it's doing so much damage to these young men um, comparing themselves, just like it is to us as adults, right? I'm not just picking on the, the teen boys. It's all of us. And, you know. I think the difference is, um, I was going to say not to interrupt you, but to interrupt you, uh, is that for the first time in human history, kids have actually had access to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about this a hundred times, but, you yes. know, they're never in the world and in the history of the world have both, you know, boys been exposed to this level mm-hmm. of comparison. Yes. And you take something like TikTok, which, um, in my humble opinion, TikTok has pornography on it. Well, yeah. Like there's child pornography. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God, you're going to get us canceled. Yeah. Uh, but man, it, what they see on there, right. Is they're scrolling and seeing these dancing women, girls, um, that have all these likes, you know, like, and um, we'll definitely, we're gonna have to spend some time on the pornography and, and what all that is doing to affect these young men. Um, but something as innocent as TikTok started out, right? It's like just people doing dances to music and what it's turned into or Instagram, like all of the stuff that they are exposed to, right? That like you said before, they didn't have that. You know, it, when I was uh, a teen boy, I mean, I remember being 12 or 13. And once I understood like and, and figured out that Victoria's Secret catalogs or Sears catalogs came in the mail, man, I was like the mail checking a son of a gun. Man. <laughs> and so I would run out to the mailbox and it'd be a new catalog and I would use it to do what uh, all teenage boys do. Um, and I would use that. Well, now, man, that's not a second thought, man. That's on ABC TV at 7 p.m. on a on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. you know, or, or as a kid. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all remember TGIF. It was like step by step and family matters, right? Stuff that when I look at it now, like it was wholesome versus what's on TV now. So, yeah, that, I think there's a sex scene on tele on public television every seven seconds or every it's something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. That's probably uh, a little bit. Uh, below average yeah, because uh, it's everywhere. But the stuff that they're exposed to again on the social media um, and just, it's, it's just, it's a disturbing trend that isn't really showing signs of stopping because their parents are addicted to it. You know, their moms are posting the highlight reels, you know, you're at the beach taking a picture and, and you got to smile 350 times because mom's got to make sure she has the right one to show. Right. And it just, it has an effect on these young men. Um, and then the body image, you know, I, God bless the teen girls. I can't even handle that and, and what they have to go through. And it's bad enough for boys, but for young girls, I mean, I have a 12 year old daughter who's fixing to be 13, a seven year old daughter and what that standard is, what culture says is beautiful. And then, so my teens, my son, you know, trying to, get him to understand even if we're watching just a football game right and there's actually i'll say it like this we went to a dallas stars versus seattle Kraken game my son drew's starting to like hockey now he got him for christmas so we go there and this is i would say social media related because they promote this but like they have the dallas stars have cheerleaders you know i forget what they call them the star girls and then like on the ice like it, it in between the periods when they're trying to freshen it up, 
you have women in sports bras and yoga pants on ice skates, like a team of them. It was like 20 girls and they skate in formation. And so as I'm sitting there with Drew, you know, he's a 13 year old boy, right? Like he is just, what? Like, and I'm just sitting here like looking up at the scoreboard or something, you know, not trying to fall back into things that could cause me to stumble, but like that's acceptable in our culture. Mm -hmm. Like to see these women and I'm not knocking you moms, you know, y'all do your Lululemon or whatever. But like (laughs) when you, when you have a teenage boy and you're trying to teach them healthy sexuality and teach them about wanting to be with a woman who respects her own body. And yet we have these women out there on ice skates and painted on yoga pants and a sports bra. Like I, I don't ever remember that when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we went to like Shreveport pirates and Shreveport captains games, but there wasn't any of that. Right. Uh, well, I think, I think I would say it's definitely the lack of clothing has increased. Oh. I wouldn't say they haven't used women as sexual exploitation for yeah. money and for marketing, mm-hmm. you know, when we were kids, they definitely did. Yeah. But what you would see on television or on online, well, you wouldn't see it online, but whatever you would see on television, mm-hmm. yeah, it was was it was sexualized, but it was super mild compared to what they can do now. I mean, they have the NFL bikini football now, where women, yeah. you know, wear literally a bikini and and shoulder pads, and that's about yeah. all they wear. Mm-hmm. So, I think the hard part talking about this and you know trying not to get canceled is there's a whole world of people who would say you're sounding really sexist right now. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? Shouldn't it be the boy's job to control himself? Mm-hmm. And what would and, you say to that? In a, in a perfect world. Yes. But you know, if you have someone like me who, uh, I like Oreos, right? So like if there's a platter full of Oreos, I may walk by it three times, five times, eight times, but eventually I'm going to take one of the Oreos if they're laying out there. Mm-hmm. And so, that may not be the may not have landed to be the best, but like self control is just that we have the ability to control what we say, what we do. But when you have teenage boys, they are going through puberty. They are going through changes to where, you know, uh, uh, the wind blowing the right way can give an, an, an erection. Right. And like, these are the, for you and I not uncomfortable to talk about at all for some of the moms listening it's probably uncomfortable, maybe mm-hmm. even the dads, but they're learning self-control. Like it's only natural to be attracted to, to the opposite sex. That's a great point. So it's, we're talking about kids mm-hmm. being exposed to things that are hypersexual. Yes. Right. And, and their consumption of that on a, from eight o'clock in the morning to a five o'clock at night level. And then them having no control because of that. Right, and I think that's that's what to key in on. It's not a debate whether women can show cleavage or they can do whatever. It's a conversation about what are we exposing children to, mm-hmm. and and how easily we can desensitize ourselves to that at adult functions. Yes, right. That that I mean, it was a big deal with the I can't remember what Super Bowl it was. It was a few years ago when uh, I think it was Shakira and uh, somebody came out, mm-hmm. uh, Beyonce maybe. And it was just, you know, they were stripper pole and, oh, Jennifer Lopez, uh, stripper pole and dancing. And I mean, everything but nipples and full on vagina was showing. Um, and the, the argument goes, well, that's just healthy sexuality. Women are now being empowered to be sexual and they should be and all these kind of things. And that's fine with me if it's adults. Yeah. If there's adult consent. Yeah. But when you have your five-year-old or 12-year-old or seven-year-old and you 
no one asks you for consent mm-hmm. on what to show your kid or expose them to, and they don't know your story. Yep. Because everybody has trauma. Everybody has baggage. Everybody has a background. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a 15-year-old boy who's been struggling with pornography, yeah. which, by the way, 98% of them have seen by 14, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that in a minute, then those kind of things are super triggering and overwhelming. And my point is they're unnecessary mm-hmm. for minors. Yeah. And, and a lot of what you get from culture is, well, your kid doesn't have to watch it. They don't have to go to the game. Exactly. Right, so I'm, I'm robbing my kids of experiences because of, I mean, lack of morality. I mean, as it, followers of Jesus, right? Like right. I, and I'm not expecting people who don't have you know, mine and your same value system and, and worldview as Christian men, because this, this applies to people who don't follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was at the homecoming game this year, right? My daughters were cheering, and I was watching you know, what these young ladies on the homecoming court were wearing. And so where I went to high school at Evangel, like they wore uniforms, the girls had skirts, but like they had rulers that they would measure. And if your skirt was not the proper length, they would either send you home or you would have to change. And I'm not, like you said, we, we, you got to tread lightly because I don't want to offend any of the women, but you know, when you're showing something most of those women want men to look, uh, at least in my experience. There's a lot of insecurity there. They find their worth and value and how many heads they can turn and what they're wearing. And so, but going back to the homecoming court, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I have two daughters. Like if this trend doesn't stop, they're going to be on the homecoming court in bikinis. Right. Like, cause I'm hoping like that, like the little house on the prairie fad comes back and my daughters are wearing bonnets and you know, ankle length dresses because it, I mean, and I had moms that were next to me that were like, really, you know? And, you know, again, you have a bunch of young men, um, that they, they are, it's natural to look mm-hmm. at that. Yep. I would say the pushback I would give you and, and, and the pushback to play devil's advocate is the, is the reason for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I would dig into if I, if I'm talking to a girl or women are listening to this and they're like, Oh, this sounds super sexist or conservative or whatever. It's the heart behind it that we need to be finding out. Mm-hmm. If a girl wants to wear a bikini at the beach, great. Do yes. you be, be confident. Mm-hmm. If a girl is wearing a bikini because she's trying to show things off to appeal to other teenage boys and sexuality, and she's not confident in that, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. Yes. You know, if a girl's wearing a skirt, if the rule is six inches and she keeps wearing a two inch skirt, Mm-hmm. Right. There needs to be a conversation with that kid, not a shaming, because I think that's the pushback. So many girls have been in school where boys can wear have their shirts off, do mm-hmm. what they want to. But girls can't wear spaghetti straps. They can't do these things. And there's all this shame around slut shaming and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same side of the coin. Yep. Right. So to, to take this back, like toxic masculinity doesn't mean that th- things that are manly are bad. Mm-hmm. There are things about masculinity that have become toxic by the culture. Mm-hmm. We're saying the same thing. I think you're trying to same thing, say the thing, same thing about women that both cultures, men and women have toxic parts of them. Mm-hmm. Not all of it's bad. That doesn't mean you can't, that every time you show off your body or you wear a bikini or you wear something that shows some leg that you're being a slut or that you shouldn't wear that. Mm-hmm. We're talking about for teenage boys and teenage girls, the why Yes. Right. The digging into the let's not just accept it as culturally normal. Mm-hmm. Let's ask why these things are happening. Yep. Why minors, right? 14 year olds, 13 year olds are allowed to wear that type of thing. Yep. Right. Not 
is it right or wrong or should they or should they do it or how should people treat them mm -hmm. that's not the argument no but the reason that i believe that they're wearing it is because that's what their moms are wearing like they're they're making it okay and everyone is entitled to their own opinion their own convictions i highly encourage any of our listeners who are disciples of jesus to follow your conviction you know mm -hmm. if you feel comfortable wearing that wear it and rock it and be good because it is not your fault if someone else can't control themselves but if you dangle the carrot long enough you're going to get a response like there is a natural desire from young men especially in puberty uh i mean it doesn't really stop there like to be curious you know and this kind of could transition us i forget what order of, you know we're going but like talking to our kids we're off the rails about, now baby yes just keep going yep we're gonna get canceled on episode 50 that's right um but talking to our kids about our understanding of healthy sexuality because that's subjective right like different depending on what your religious background is depending on what your beliefs are there's not an actual handbook even the bible itself it teaches about sexuality but we have perverted it and we have taken it and we kind of pick and choose what we want to apply. Absolutely. Um, but there's not a, 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 there's not a, you can wear this inch skirt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Th there's not that it's interpretation. And again, I tell people to go based on their convictions, but when we teach about healthy sexuality, you gotta, it's kind of so broad, right? Like, because what I may feel bad about, you may not and what you may feel bad about i may not yes yeah and that's the exact point is that like i'm a pretty modest person mm -hmm. like and that comes from a lot of things you know i never felt comfortable changing in a locker room or being in my underwear around other guys during sports it wasn't until i joined the army where you're forced to just get in the shower with like 20 dudes and it's yeah. fine and then i got used to it and it wasn't that big of a deal mm -hmm. but even now i'm modest yeah where some people are not mm -hmm. you know that that goes into dress and culture and all those kind of things and then again nudity in and of itself if you live in africa not a big deal mm -hmm. you know but if you live in america so there's a cultural context and a norm and an expectation and there's all these things so the conversation about this that we're trying to have is hard because there's all these little landmines that you have to cover so that somebody's not offended or upset mm -hmm. so somebody's saying oh well you're saying girls can't wear what they want to or boys are going to be you know taking advantage of them no that's not what you're saying no, you know you've made it clear you know, it's the same conversation, man. It's a, again, nuanced conversation, but when it comes to, uh, sexuality and rape and date rape and all these kind of things, yeah, it's a huge issue that boys are watching too much porn, overly exposed, their expectations are too high. Mm -hmm. And that is happening a lot. I think that was a great thing about the me too movement, but it's brought out a lot of problems that we had in the culture. Mm -hmm. And I tell boys all the time when, you know, I've spoken to an evangel and other, you know, I'm like, if a, if a girl's not asking you, please have sex with me, you shouldn't be having sex. Yep. Cause any, you know, it's teaching them consent. Mm -hmm. And I think we grew up in a culture where it's like, Oh, they're playing hard to get, you know, they're whatever. Yep. And, and maybe some girls do do that, but mm -hmm you have to take everything in it as an individual situation. Mm -hmm. You can't just cast this wide net and say, well, all girls who dress this way are doing it for this reason. Mm -mm. And I would say as a listener, you need to, what we're asking you and challenging is that with your boys, with your girls, that you ask good questions about why those things are happening. Yep. Why am I letting them on TikTok? Mm -hmm. Why am I okay with my teenage daughter getting on TikTok without a bra on, mm -hmm. you know, in a t-shirt and yep. doing a dance video? Yeah. Why is that okay? Why is she wanting to do it? 
and what are the pros and cons to that? Mm -hmm. Because we do live in a community. Yes. We do live in a world. But I think people are misinformed with, and what we're trying to do is inform them, but misinformed with how damaging and how consequential this culture that we're creating for boys and girls mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And so, again, today we're talking about boys, so yeah. we don't have the time to dive into all the girl stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's about as much as I want to justify. Sure. Yeah. No, you're, that's a good man. And, you know, talking about, you know, the pornography, you know, and these... Uh, the parents that I get that come in and, and they have their head in the sand. They don't want to believe that their son, their 13, 14 year old, and that's not even the early age of exposure. That's just, we're going to hang around teen boys for today. Um, that they don't think that their son is doing that. You know, uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, she's got two boys and one of them's 14 and we were having a conversation about masturbation and she was like, Absolutely not. He would tell me, no way my son's doing that. I don't believe that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you have lost your mind. And she's like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? I'm like, girl, come on. Like, let's, let's think about this. And so as dads or other men who have the ability to influence teenage boys, you know, cause I know uh, every family's different. Not everyone has a, a male role model in the home. But all of us as men, whether it's in church or as a coach or whatever, have the ability to help these young, man, young men have a better understanding of healthy sexuality. Because, you know, our candid conversations that you and me and Ross and Lanita and uh, other CSATs, or in, in my case, a PSAP can have, they make some people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's just the truth. So if you have a 13-year-old boy who, you know, when I was 13... Um, in Shreveport, there was channel 96. All right. And when you went to it, like you had to subscribe to it. But so when I would be watching it, like the, uh, the it was scrambled, it was squiggly line, but every now and then you'd see a, a boob, right? Yeah. And you held on to that. Like you, you grabbed, you were like, Oh my gosh, I got to see that. Uh, and then, like I said earlier about, you know, I'm a, Hey, I'll check the mail and I run out and there's a Victoria's secret catalog. Well, now with what our young men are exposed to, what they have on these devices that most parents, um, they don't know that they need to monitor it. They don't realize that, you know, a, a nine-year-old on Google is not a good thing. Right. Well, there, that's the, okay, so that, yeah, and I know you're going here, but the margin for error is so much smaller. Because mm -hmm. one, the thing they're being exposed to isn't a breast. Mm -hmm. Right. So for all of us, and I, I'm going to key this in. What Andy's talking about is in, in the 80s, 90s, all of human history up until the internet, the exposure that we had for sexuality was terrible for kids, mm -hmm. right? Somebody having the Playboy channel, somebody seeing you know, sex on television, the arousal that causes the, the development of dopamine, the problems in sexuality, I mean, it jacked us up. Mm -hmm. Everything that we've, we've, we're dealing with as adult men in our 40s and 30s is because of very minor exposure as a child, mm -hmm. right? Yep. What we're talking about is that, and I'd say this all the time, I know you are, but porn is not about two people having sex, mm -mm. right? We're not saying that your kid's going to expo be exposed to breasts on the internet and that's going to be bad. Although that would be, mm -hmm. and has caused all the problems for many men as yeah. it has. They're going to see hardcore, abusive, disgusting sexuality. Bestiality, child pornography, abuse, rape porn, mm -hmm. a lot of things that are not 
remotely okay for an average six to eight to 12 to 15 year old to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it affects the arousal template, you know, like it, it changes. So it, it sets an expectation that if I'm 13 or 14, uh, and, and parents, I know this makes, may make you uncomfortable, but it's just the truth. If, if your child, if your son has a, a smartphone, even if in your house, you're monitoring it. If he goes to his friend's houses and the stuff that he's consuming, like you said, no one um, who struggles with pornography addiction, uh, once they're once they're hooked, is googling missionary sex. Right. Right. It is a progression that you, it's a bottomless pit that take. It took me twenty years like down a path that man. I, I'm still thankful, you know, for the grace of Jesus and getting through that, but. Our, our teenage boys, you know, that they are exposed to this video, whether it be, you know, just depraved sex, gang bangs, whatever. And that is what they think it's like. Mm -hmm. So when they That's get their second sex education. Yes. Yeah. So they get a girlfriend when they're 15 or 16. And yes, to parents out there listening, teenagers in middle school and high school are having sex. Um, Hopefully all of our kids will save themselves from marriage. I'm pro proclaiming it for all of us, but realistically they're not. All right. I mean, unless things really change and it's going to take supernatural intervention. I would say this. It's interesting because the stat is less and less kids are having actual sex mm -hmm. because they're able to have so much online sex and so much self sex, but that's a whole nother yeah. podcast. Yes. Hooray for eradicating STDs, but it still messes with people's brains. Yeah. We're trading one for the other. Yeah. Yeah. And so these 16, 15, 16 year old boys have erectile dysfunction mm -hmm. because again, I'm not condoning sex outside of marriage, but we live in this reality. We walk it day to day. So when yeah, the number one buyer, buyer of Viagra is 18 to 25 year old males mm -hmm. because the last decade they've watched so much pornography mm -hmm. and masturbated so much that they cannot have sex with a real person and either climax or keep an erection. And then you have these young ladies that they go on this mission and hunt to, well, it's me, right? Mm -hmm. I, what am I doing wrong? And man, the, the, the domino effect of what a, a teenage boy watching pornography does, like it could potentially affect his marriage down the road. It will affect his marriage down the road because you have an actual lady, a, a, a consenting sexual partner in front of you and you can't get aroused at 17, 18, 19 years old because of that exposure mm -hmm. and what, what you think sex is like. Yep. And this is, dads, I'm coming for you right now. Most of you are watching it as well. Yep. And, I mean, you may be able to roll the stat on that. but 76% of Protestant males in the last month. Yes, right. All right, so that's a lot. So that means if we got 100 people in a room, 76 within the past month have, have looked at pornography. Mm -hmm. And that probably, I would think that statistic is based off of actual naked people, not TikTok, Instagram yes. models, right? That's Because they're old. Yeah, that stat's probably five years ago, six yeah. years ago. And um, we haven't really done any more research in the church mm -hmm. on that. But yeah, you can't, you can't, now you can't kind of categorize what is arousal, what is pornography, because yeah, it's just, ooh, naked people having sex, that's porn. Mm -hmm. you know? But no, yeah. 18 year old, 20 year olds on TikTok with no clothes on mm -hmm. is still 
pornography. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, the, or can be used as. Sure. And because it doesn't take much when you're 12, 13, 14 years old to get you aroused. But dads out there that are doing it, um, you know, don't think that just because you are that your son's not. Mm-hmm. Because most early exposure comes from in the home. 89%. Yes. So I remember uh, one of the guys I went to high school with, his dad was an OB. And I remember the like, he was like the most popular house because there was literally like Playboy subscription next to the toilet. Oh, yeah. That was super common. Yes. And so, man, as a 16-year-old kid, man, going hanging out at so-and-so's house, man, and it's just like Playboy's everywhere. Like his mom knew about it. I mean, it was, it was accepted. And uh, I know his dad wasn't using it for medical research, I'm certain, <laughs> right? Um, it was the articles. Yes, yes, always the articles. Um, but... But again, that was the kind of starting point for many men in our generation that are dads now. And Mm so we get that. You know, we're not saying that you're a monster if you struggle with pornography. Lord, if you're a man in in this culture, we all do. We all have to have safeguards and everybody fails and everybody screws up to some degree. But being honest first, being honest about that with other men in your life, getting a, you know, control over it, getting healthy eliminates the exposure that your kid can get. It's hard enough already that our kids are going to get exposed to it. You yep. definitely don't want to be in you do, who does it. Yes. And, and talking to our kids about what they're exposed to, because most men can probably approximate the age where they first started to masturbate, you know, and realizing that I got a 13 year old, you know, Drew and I have these talks. Is he going to do it? Yes. Am I going to encourage it? No. And it's, teaching him that it's okay to explore your body. So as a teen boy, you know, biblically, you know, the, the Bible really doesn't say anything about masturbation. Right. You know, and my belief is that masturbation itself, again, this is just Andy's belief is not a sin. It's what are, what we're thinking about and what we're looking at. Because if you have someone who's never been exposed to it and then they all of a sudden a young man starts to explore his body and it feels good. Well, it feels good. I'm going to keep doing it. I personally don't think that the intent is there. I don't think that that is sinful. Now, as a 38 year old man, if I decide I'm going to masturbate and I'm looking at something I shouldn't, or I'm going back through the Rolodex, right. And and going back there. Yes. That in my opinion is sinful. And I know we're not talking about it. We ha- we're not going down the spiritual trail because we could be here forever. But um, just realizing that, dads, you have to talk to your sons about it. And before you can talk to your sons about it, you have to come to the realization that looking at pornography is affecting you. I get couples in my office all the time with intimacy issues, you know, young couples. Yep. And they're like, well, my husband, you know, he's just always too tired. Well, no, he doesn't have to work for it when he sits in front of a computer. It's easy, it's fast. And to think that our teen boys don't feel the same way and they don't see it. They don't see the way that dad, I mean, they do see the way dad looks at mom, the stuff dad's looking at on Facebook, the stuff dad's looking at on Instagram. Well, the pointing out or not pointing out of the girls on the ice skating ring. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
if you're a dad who sees that and points it out to his son mm-hmm. or points out an attractive woman or talks about someone's breasts or talks about how somebody looks or cat calls or there's a hundred thousand things that I've experienced as a child and as a teenager mm-hmm. that I've seen men do. Yeah. Those are the things we have to stop doing as followers of Jesus. Yes. And what we're communicating to our sons is that's perfectly fine. We're objectifying women or men. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're objectifying these situations. And we live in a culture where that's always happened. It's still happening. And then you have the steroid injection of pornography, yeah. which is more addictive than cocaine. Mm-hmm. It is. And I want the parents to realize that like your child can overcome this, but you have to one as a father, if you struggle with it and then, you know, it's kind of, well, what's the struggle? Am I addicted? Do I just have a problem with it? Man, I would love to have that conversation. You or Ross, we have groups because once we can identify it, then we can fix it. Before we can fix a problem, we have to know it's a problem. Yeah. But we also have to teach our kids. So if I withhold the struggles that I've overcome from my son, then I'm setting him up for failure. Is he still going to probably engage in all those behaviors at some point? Yes, I would say so. I hope not. But I have to share with him. Uh, Michelle, gosh, she got so embarrassed um, about this is probably about a month or two ago. And I was talking with Drew. We were having one of our talks about sex and healthy sexuality. We were reading about in the Bible about sexuality. And uh, I just flat out told him, I was like, buddy, you know, mommy and I started having sex when I was 16 and she was 15. And like he wasn't even shocked by that because I have, I have been preparing. I've been having a series of conversations, age appropriate, of course, since I started to learn and do better, right? Mm-hmm. So as I was explaining to him the consequences of having sex at such a young age and soul ties and the way that it affected me, you know, Michelle and I were each other's first. Well, at 16 and 15, we didn't know anything. My parents never talked to me about healthy sexuality or, or any form. Like I learned it in school. I learned it from a, a coach. I learned it in the locker room. And I mean, I remember it not at, at 15 when I went to Southwood before I transferred to Evangel, getting made fun of at 15 years old for being a virgin. Mm-hmm. And so talking with my son about not only do you want to respect all women, but you have to respect yourself. So Michelle came in there and I was like, Hey babe, come in here. So she walked in and I was like, babe, tell Drew, tell Drew about what we were doing. We were 16 and 15. She was like, what? You're going to talk to him about that? <laughs> you set her up like that, man. Yes. I set her up like that. Cause it's good. It's good for her growth. But what I'm trying to get him to understand is that mommy and daddy have to express our failures and where we went wrong. Mm-hmm. And then after high school, we broke up, we went our separate ways, we did our own things and we came back together. But that's not always the case. And being able to sit there in front of my son and talk about what it was like when his mom broke up with me when I was 16 and the heartache it caused because of the, the sex. And if I don't prepare him and he gets a girlfriend and they start having sex when they're in high school or again, hopefully when they're married, um, what am I doing? I, I have to teach my son this. And what he chooses to do with the information when he's a consenting adult is on him. But he's not going to be able to say he wasn't informed. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah, we talk about this a lot. Um, and again, we're talking about teenage boys. But the sexual conversation, you know, every time I speak somewhere, I always ask them to raise their hand if their parents talk to them about these type of things. And I've never had more than three people 
raise their hand that their parents talked to them about sex mm-hmm. or masturbation. Yeah. And I think for boys, especially for people to understand, it's a, it's a totally normal developmental thing, mm-hmm. but like your six and seven year old or even three year old gets erections. Mm-hmm. Like that's a normal developmental thing. And I've seen so many parents because they don't know this, they haven't had this conversation. They have their own shame. They have their own things going on. It leads to a cycle of shaming of boys and girls for normal developmental things, mm-hmm. right? Pre-sexual. Because if you have a kid that has not in puberty and has started the normal biological process of masturbation or erections or whatever, they're not thinking of it sexually mm-hmm. because hopefully they haven't been exposed to anything. They haven't been touched anyway. They haven't been um, harmed. So they don't have a reference. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not thinking about it like we are. And I think that's what makes people so uncomfortable is we've overly, it proves the point. Mm-hmm. We've hypersexualized and overly sexualized everything yep. to address it prom, to avoid with his shirt off, to ads, to magazines, to TikTok, to everything. That when we try to talk about sex education for prepubescent kids, we're so uncomfortable because it's sexual mm-hmm. instead instead of normal developmental. Yeah, does that make sense? Makes and so sense. we have to teach our kids context because before they hit puberty, they need to understand what's going on with their body, what's normal, what's not, what they can talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Because when we don't communicate, we're communicating we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so, a little boy at nine or ten or you know, 11 starts having erections or nocturnal emissions, which we call wet dreams. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that's going to happen. It's a very scary shaming thing. Yes. To wake up in the middle of the night, wondering what's happened to you having pleasure, but having shame and having those two things linked. Mm-hmm. But when you've pre-talked to your kid and you've said, Hey, in the next year or so, these things are going to start happening. And remember when we talked about procreation and when we remember we talked about making babies, like this is all part of it. Mm-hmm. That's scaffolding and preparing them and giving them context for what's going to happen. Yep. So when it happens, they go, oh, this is what dad told me. Hey, dad, that thing that you told me happened. It's still a little embarrassing to talk about mm-hmm. and it might feel uncomfortable, but it's, it's just normal that I can come to you and talk about this and you help me through it. Mm-hmm. And I'd say 95% of people have not had that experience. They have not. And yet we're living in an extremely hyper-sexualized, hyper-exposed group of boys with zero information. So that's why I think it's the worst, you know, and I think that's why it's so bad and why their anxiety and their depression and their suicide rate and their self-harm rate and their porn Mm -hmm. addiction and all these stats are 200% higher than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think that's the combination, right? Is the overexposure and the complete lack of education all yes. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten worse and yet we've done nothing about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's got to change and it's going to start with us as parents being willing to have those com- those tough conversations yeah. and parents who are listening, who don't feel comfortable, uh, man, come and talk to one of our clinicians about how to have that conversation. And I sat down with, uh, mother, father, and their two sons uh, a couple of months ago, and they had done a phenomenal job of teaching their kids about the proper terms, penis, vagina, ejaculation, orgasm, like all of these things instead of, you know, GG and wiener and all these stuff. Tallywhacker. Yes. Like having those tough conversations. And one of the things that you said this, it was one of our conversations, and you were talking about the, the difference between a, a perpetrator and unsupervised children, right? Yeah. So, and man, that stuck with me because, you know, I remember as a, as a kid, 
go into the skating rink, right? Like to the all night skates. Now, fortunately I had the parents that like, they didn't let us stay all night, but I do remember what happened in middle school in sleeping bags with like maybe eight people working at Hot Wheels um, at those all night skates. Yeah, ours right? was Skateville, but yeah. Yes. So we're, we're gonna put kids in these situations and just not expect them to explore. Like, so when you have a 13 year old child and a 10 year old child, if you have a 13 year old boy and he sees his 10 year old cousin naked, and I'm not saying this always happens, but there is a natural curiosity if there has not been proper education is to or overexposure. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's like, well, what's that? What's different? And so these young men who may touch someone in a way that they shouldn't, or they may say something they shouldn't, um, gets labeled as, well, he's just a perverted little 13 year old boy. No, he's a 13 year old child whose parents haven't equipped him most of the time because the parents haven't been equipped. So the way that you said that, that time, you know, about being unsupervised children. Cause like when we do sleepovers at our house, you know, cause I have a 12 year old daughter and 13 year old son and a seven year old daughter. Like there is a intentionality and in not having a bunch of Drew's friends and a bunch of Avery's friends over because we can't stay awake for 24 full hours. So we have to be intentional about who it is, what, who their parents are, have their parents talked to them about this, maintaining that separation because there's a lot of work that goes into that. Oh, yes. There should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like if one of my daughter's friends can't sleep and Drew's up in his room playing a video game by himself, no, like, no, you're not going to just hang out with Drew. And because kids are curious and I'm not saying that they're the intent is to get to that point, but curiosity kicks up. And as the, the young ladies start to develop and the men are, the young boys are starting to develop, there is that curiosity, um, of what, what are we going to do? Cause like, this is something my parents probably don't even know, but like as a, as a young man, I mean, I remember being in middle school and my neighbor who was a good friend of mine, um, he's, he was in my wedding. Like we would mutually masturbate, like, like just next to each other. And like, there, it was nothing, there was not an attraction to him, but it was, we were uneducated. We just, this feels good. And well, that's extremely common. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people yeah. don't think that or talk about it or know that, but like, yeah, because of all the lack of education and support, mm -hmm. it's, it's not sexual. For, you know, it wasn't a sexual, it's a sexual act, yep. but it's not sexual in the way that we think about it as adults. It's just exploring mm -hmm. and figuring out. And yeah, and I've had, I mean, I can't tell you the hundreds of people, men and women both, who have had mm -hmm. that story. Yeah. And so I say that for people to understand. I know you're being vulnerable, and I'm yeah. used to it. But people sitting here, you know, yes. their minds are blown right now. <laughs> but I want I want them to understand. And, and they might not be blown because they probably have a similar story mm -hmm. or a similar situation. And I hope that if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, yeah, I did have that thing with a cousin or a friend or a circumstance – that you know you're not alone in that. No. That you know that's a very common experience because of what we're trying to prevent. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole conversation is about how do we prevent this for younger kids, yeah. and then how do we understand what wasn't prevented for these teenagers. Mm -hmm. So anyway, sorry. Sure, no, that's good. But and and that's the thing is like it turned from one time into multiple times. But this was like my early exposure to pornography was uh, I think I was nine, and it was at this other my friend's older sister's boyfriend's house. 
and we went over there, rode our bikes down. We lived in Newcastle. Oh yeah, the good old days. And there was, uh, they played. They had a VHS of Debbie Does Dallas. Well, as a nine-year-old who hasn't even gone through puberty, man, there was a, a fascination there. It was like, whoa, what's this? This oh, and like, and that I remember the exposure, but it wasn't till years later that I could go back to that visual and remembering that experience. So when you have, you know, unsupervised, unsupervised children at 13 years old, they're going to explore again, or at least the risk for them is great that they're going. Yes. Yeah. And I, what I don't want to happen is for any parent listening to think that, yeah, but not my kid. That's what other kids do. And maybe your kid doesn't, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, make it sound like every kid is like I was because we're all different. But I do know I was very uneducated on it. I was not informed. Like I, I didn't know when I mean, Michelle and I, when we started having sex at 16 and 15, I didn't know. I, I knew it felt amazing, but I wasn't, I wasn't educated on what, not just the, the emotional ties that it has and Definitely the way it makes that. us feel, <laughs> but like physically speaking. Yeah. Right. And you know, parents, you, you got to have these conversations with your teen boys. And this is probably another one that I'll kind of go back to. I'll, I'll hit on these real quick. It's like parents that are concerned about bringing this stuff to their kids' attention. It's like the, parent, the, the, the parents who don't want to put their daughters on birth control because they think it is going to contribute to them having sex. All right. I know that may be a, a touchy subject and we're, I'm not going to get too deep into it other than the fact that bringing awareness to it if a young lady gets put on birth control at 14 or 15 whether it be for medical reasons or the fact that statistically she's probably going to have premarital sex and you don't want to raise a grandbaby with your teenage daughter that you you need to be able to have these conversations you know like that if i put her on this this isn't a a, a express pass to go have sex not unlike me because Michelle one of the things she asked she was like why would you tell Drew that we had sex when we were 16 and 15 I was like because he'll be 15 in two years and I, I know from my experience in my own life and what I do for my job that he's probably going to be wanting to have sex in two years yeah and you're telling him the negative consequences of it. I think yes. that's the explicit part is when parents get tweaked up about well if I say sex or I teach them what sex is or to say something masturbation or say erection they're going to start doing it mm -hmm. or if I talk to them about pornography it's going to put it in their brain and they're going to go look for it mm -hmm. right yeah if you just say this is the thing mm -hmm. but if you say this is the thing and here's the consequences for it yes and here's what to do if you stumble upon it and here's what here's what to do if you feel bad about it or if you excuse me, go around mom and dad and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that you can come and talk to us about this and I'm not going to shame you and I'm not going to throw you out of the house and I'm not going to yell at you, but I am going to help you then put boundaries in place where you don't have that circumstance happening. Yes. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so that's the, it's a, it's a robust conversation. Um, but again, if you haven't processed your own stuff, mm -hmm. if you have no clue how you feel about it, like you were talking about whether it's a sin or not a sin, People have to come to their own firm foundations on what their beliefs are first in order for any of this stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. So whether you do or don't believe it is, you need to have a robust idea of why that is. So when you're talking to your 15-year-old, it's not just don't do it, mm -hmm. right? It's, yep. it, or I'm not going to say anything at all. Yep. Oh, the infamous 
you know, do as I say, not as I do. You right. know, just, just don't do it. Well, kids are too smart for that now. Mm-hmm. Like when we were kids, that worked, you know, because yep. we couldn't research, we couldn't listen, we couldn't look up, we didn't have all the access to everything to know better. Mm-hmm. But like our kids are watching us on our phones, on our devices, doing our things, and we're that doesn't it doesn't fly anymore. Mm-mm. Our kids actually lose way more respect for us now because it's very clear that we're saying to, for them not to do something that we're doing. Yes, and and parents listening out there, you know, this is something that. Um, I, I don't even know where I originally heard it or I don't know that it's original. I'm not this smart, but you know, when your children, and in this case, when your teen boys come to you and tell you that they're watching pornography or they come and tell you that they're having sex with their girlfriend, the way that we respond when people tell us the truth will determine if they tell us the truth again. Amen. So if we overreact, if, if my son comes and tells me, Hey dad, me and my girlfriend had sex and he's 16 and I flip out on him and I call him a pervert and blah, 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 which I'm not going to do that because I'm educated on it uh, with a lot of room to grow. I do not have all the answers and I don't know it all. Um, some parents do handle it that way. And like you said, they shame their kids, you know, and, and at that point, all right, are we going to implement healthy boundaries? Are we not going to have your girlfriend in the same room with you unless mom and dad are in the room and, and help our Which, kids? Which, by the way, should probably happen Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but before you let him go back into the bedroom. <laughs> right. Uh, but, and, and even then I'm putting Michelle on blast. Like when we were 16 and 15, my parents had a no door shut rule. Right. And the way that our living room was set up is like my bedroom was right next to the living room. We just had sex with the door open. Right. You know, so parents, no boyfriends and girlfriends in the bedroom. Uh, that is my recommendation based off of my own experience <laughs> and the rules that will happen in the bond house. Right. Because nothing Again, good can come from it. I think, and, and people want to take one comment or one thing and say, well, blah, 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 blah. This is all building off of early conversation, early trust, extended boundaries. Like you may have a 17 year old who you trust implicitly. Great. I hope you did all these things. Mm-hmm. If you didn't, the, the, Margin for error is just very, very small. And I think that's what people need to point to is that it's not about controlling your kid. It's not about that you're going to be able to protect them from everything. It's they're going to, I say all the time, Adam and Eve had perfect parents and they chose sin. Yep. So even if you do it all right, your kids are going to mess up. It's about, or they're going to make decisions that they think are best at the time that they find out aren't the best. But having these conversations with our young boys, educating them, preparing them is so that when they are exposed to it in the world, they are equipped to know they can come talk to you about it. We can make better choices in the future or different choices in the future and what it says about their worth and their value. Yes. And so many of the guys we sit with and the women we sit with who struggle with affairs and sex addiction and masturbation addiction and pornography addiction, it all started from all the things we're seeing all these teenage boys having happen literally right now. So for us, I know for you, we've talked about this. It's terrifying because we ha- we see adults and we see the 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 ingredients mm-hmm. that are going to bake the pie. Yep. Right? And right now all we're seeing is a is a 10-year age group from 10 to 20 of all the ingredients times 33,000 mm-hmm. and we're just looking in the next 5 or 10 years and going we know what this is going to make, mm-hmm. but we actually don't know how bad it's going to be because all we're looking off of was 10 years ago mm-hmm. when the ingredients were a lot less yeah. and a lot less potent yeah. and a lot less spicy. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to get people to see in the midst of this new cultural development that like we're trying to scare you a little bit because the reality of the consequences of not doing anything mm-hmm. 
is going to be far greater than what we're sitting in right now in 2022. Sure. In 2032. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you brought up a, a, a very honorable, respectable 17-year-old boy, right? Like the parents can trust him. He does it all, right? So he starts to date a 17-year-old girl. Well, the 17-year-old boy has never had sex, but the 17-year-old girl had sex when she was 15, all right? So now she may want to engage in it, all right? There are not many 17-year-old boys that even though he didn't get into the relationship with that intent, he's got his his parental purity ring and all this stuff, that when they're driving home and she reaches her hand over into his lap, that he's just going to be like, uh, you're disgusting, get out of my truck. No, it ain't going to happen. So it's not so much about what we teach just our kids. We have to make them aware that other people's actions can make them do stuff that they know they shouldn't do, which is essentially what sin is, right? Exactly. Like we, we know we shouldn't do it, but we do it anyway. Right. And so it's preparing them for, for things that are going to happen so they can have self-control, so they can learn to defer their rewards, so they can learn that, you know, the, the, the way of life is not seeking all the pleasure in the world and all the um, extreme in the world, but is figuring out how to do what's best in relationship and connection with other people. It is. And, and I think that, again, goes back to teaching children that sex is about connection and intimacy and vulnerability. And for young boys, if we've just taught them being vulnerable and sensitive and mindful is all weak, mm -hmm. then when it comes to sex, all there's left is pleasure. Yep. All there's left is I'm going to do what I want to do and, and do me because I'm not going to be, I'm not going to talk about feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about emotions. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to say I'm scared or I didn't like this or this hurt or this wasn't good. Mm -hmm. Like it takes emotional capacity to be able to do all those things. Yes. You know, I tell teenagers all the time, you know, if you can't talk about sex before, during and after you shouldn't be having, having mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So if you're mature enough to have a conversation about what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Mm -hmm. Hey, is this okay? Do you like this? What's good? And then afterwards being like, was everything okay? Are you okay? How are you? Mm -hmm. And I don't know a teenager who's mature enough to have that conversation about anything, no. much less something so pivotal as sexuality or sex. No, not at all. And, and this is something that, you know, God, he gave us sex. It is a gift. You know, he knew what he was doing when he created it. It, it, it There's doesn't, a whole book in the Bible about yes, how awesome it is. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like sandpaper for a reason, right? Right. Like it was meant to be pleasurable, but we have perverted it, but one of the things that I, I think of is that in my, my life, and that's really all I can base my, my experience off of it because it's personal, is the things that have brought me the most pleasure have also brought me the most pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of them is sex, right? Sex is the only act, the only, what is it, the only sin we commit against ourselves? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what it is? Or the, I forget how Paul words it, but yep. um, like, and it's yes. The only sin we commit against our body. Against our body, that's yeah. right. And, but so yes, this has been a podcast about teen boys and their struggles. And I think the reason we spent the majority of the time on here is because that is probably the top struggle. hundred percent. It's definitely the number one. I mean, you, you say you only use your personal story, but we work with people all yeah. the time. And I think the benefit of being a cl clinician is we see people black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you know, cross the culture, cr cross socioeconomic status you know, cross denominations, cross religions, non-religious, mm -hmm. and they're all dealing with these things. Yes. So the idea that you could do a youth conference right now in 2022 and not touch on pornography, not touch on safe sex, not touch on, you know, the shame that comes with all of that or with, on social media is abhorrent to me. Mm -hmm. 
when the research says that 98% of them have seen it since 14. Yes. and I mean, before 14. Yes, and I, I'm going to go to bat for my dad's uh, men and relationships here. Um, ladies, when you listen to this, if your husband or your boyfriend, your fiancé, uh, is struggling with a porn addiction. Or just a compulsivity. Yes, or a compulsivity. That more than likely, probably 99% preceded you ever even knowing who he was. Right. So if and when he comes to you and says, hey, this is something I struggle with, realizing that that, depending on the depth of his addiction and how long he's been into it, it's not about you at all or what you're not providing him. It goes back if he was exposed at eight or nine and he's been watching pornography for 15 or 20 years. Yes, you are affected by it. I agree. But you can't shame him because the, the mindset of... Well, you well, can. Oh, yeah, you, you can. You shouldn't <laughs> shame him. Because, again, going back to the way you respond when people tell you the truth will determine if they do it again. If your husband comes to you and tells you this after listening to this podcast and says, Hey, we need to go talk to, you know, little Sam because I've been struggling with this. Don't throw his stuff out on the driveway. Don't, I mean, yes, those are natural responses. There is betrayal there, but I just want you to, I hope this is making sense. It runs deeper than just if you've been married five years, you think he's been looking at pornography for only five years. Right. Maybe he's the, the, the unicorn of men who, who didn't start looking at it when they were teenagers. But I, I find that to be highly unlikely. Yeah, a lot of men, and I hear what you're saying. If you're a spouse, if you're, and it's males and females. I mean, we get, now the stats are, I mean, what we're going to see in the next decade is, is almost equal. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the sexual exploitation centers said they did research, uh, you know, a month before and they found that girls, young teenage girls scored one point higher of porn viewing in the last month than the boys. Mm. So we're going to see the progression of this increase into marriages on both male and female sides, the way it affects them biologically and emotionally and relationally is totally different or different mm. in spectrum, but we'll get there. But if you find out your husband or spouse has been watching pornography, it is extremely traumatic for you. You can 83% yes. of people who go through that betrayal trauma experience PTSD like symptoms and you may respond inappropriately. What we're trying to tell you is after try to limit responding that way. But if you do respond out of that trauma and out of that panic, when you get in a regular mind and you get on your own and you, and you have a moment, just remember that although it's super damaging and it is a violation and it is a lie, that what we're trying to point to is that this whole culture that we've created where men aren't allowed to be vulnerable and share and talk has created a splitting of personalities where what you do in private as a little boy and what you grow into and what you do normal is extremely shameful and brings suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, the things that maybe you've seen online or watched online or masturbated to online you feel like you cannot ever talk about that or people will disown you, abandon you, leave mm -hmm. you. And most likely somebody has, someone has caught you and shamed you and called you gross. And the neurological damage and trauma that that caused you, there is no choosing to just tell someone. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have a choice, but that choice is extremely limited yes. because the idea that you can share it and be vulnerable without being killed emotionally 
has never happened. Yes. So you don't have the buildup or the experience to, to believe or to believe it's worth sharing with a spouse or anyone else because you've been so disconnected and disassociated to it for so long that the idea of sharing it is impossible because no one in our culture other than a couple podcasts and a couple writers is talking about it in this way. And so the best thing you can do is please call someone here, call someone who's a CSAT and, and start the process together in therapy before having any big conversations. Yes. You know, stop right now. If you hear, you know, tonight or this week and go, okay, I don't need to go and ask my spouse if they're dealing with this, we need to get in therapy and let them help us unpack this over time mm -hmm. so that I don't do any damage. They don't do any damage and we can recover. Yes. Part, you said that perfectly. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> no, no I'm worries. just not as articulate when it comes to it. Well, I've ladies, had a few more years than yes. talking about it than you yeah. have. Ladies, it's not your fault, but you have the ability to determine the outcome and the level of health. And like Clint said, getting in to see a CSAT, you know, um, or, or someone who's trained in sex addiction, just going to a random person for therapy, which is, it's better than nothing, but sometimes that can do, that can be more damaging. Absolutely. You, I've had so many men say, I went, we went to this other therapist and the female therapist told the wife, if she caught me watching porn, that I should leave him, mm -hmm. yes. you know, or that you should get a divorce or, you know, that's grounds for divorce or they're mm -hmm. disgusting or you don't deserve that. And you know, no, you don't deserve it, mm -hmm. but let's not jump to kicking people out and, oh. and misunderstanding the circumstance. No. And one of the uh, illustrations I give for that is, you know, if I need heart surgery, I'm not going to go to a podiatrist, right? I'm not going to go to a shoulder doctor. Yes, they're all medical doctors, but what is their training in? So when you have a CSAT or a PSAT or someone with a legitimate certification from a sex addiction training, if you are struggling with infidelity, betrayal, trauma, porn addiction, love addiction, any of those things, seeking out someone who specializes in that, because if not, like you said, you have the therapist, oh, if he watches porn, uh, you got to kick him out. Well, you know. And I'm sure that's happened hundreds of times. Oh, yeah. I've heard it at least 100. Yeah. And it's disturbing. It is. All right. So let's wrap this thing up. So okay. I hope that people out there are a little scared, a little overwhelmed, and a little uh, interested in learning more. So I, what can and what are we doing moving forward to kind of help this population? Because I think the other problem is that, one, nobody knows this stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're not even aware of what to protect. Um, but I hope now when people listen, they go, oh, gosh. One, we do trainings all the time. So mm -hmm. you can call us here at Clint Davis Counseling and email us. We can do Zoom trainings. We can do in-person trainings. I fly out all over the place and talk about this stuff. Andy's a great speaker. Ross is a great speaker. Anybody who works in this realm, we can come and talk to your youth group, to your pastors, um, to your business, to your school, whoever. We, we're booked up all the time to do this um, and do it in a gentle way, in an educational way, so you can start to change the impact of this stuff. But in our office, Andy, so you want to talk about your group coming yes, up? Yes, I plan on right at uh, around early March, because uh, i got to get all my ducks in a row scheduling-wise. But I'm going to do a group for 6th to 8th grade boys and a group for ninth to 12th. Um, yes, in that area you have you know maybe 12 to 18. I don't want to have a group with you know 6th grade boys in there with boys who are senior in high school. Right. So that's why I chose to separate it. And I'm still working on the, the format, but it's going to be probably an eight-week long group, and we're going to have a, 
essentially a curriculum where we talk about certain things each week and I can present it with the parents and say, hey, this is what we're talking about today. If your son chooses to talk with you about this stuff, good. If not, let it be. Right. Um, so here are maybe some questions that they can ask them, yes. some things that they can know. Mm-hmm. Because as a parent, I know these conversations can be uncomfortable. Not everyone can sit here like Clint, myself, Ross, Lanita, again, people that have been trained in sex addiction. I know Tyler's going through it. Like, so we, Olivia, Olivia. Yes. Oh, her podcast was great. Um, but we have to get ahead of this because this is what essentially is going to keep us in business for a long time is not understanding the sexuality and what it does. So, well, this is the real pandemic. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, but my hope in the group is to get boys who feel like they're the only one feeling that way because there's healing in community to be able to talk about it. It doesn't matter what school they go to there. I'm, and I will probably cap it at probably eight boys because I want to be able to have uh, enough time to like spend individually with them like in a group and yeah. let's talk about it. Um, and then at the end of that eight weeks, I'll see how each of the groups went and then hopefully continue that. Um, and as more stats come out and I become better at it and understand more like um, using that to to build off of it. But that that's the plan is to have a group for six to eight ninth to 12th to sit here and talk about this stuff. Um, and again, I know there's parents out there that they just don't want to have these conversations. And if you're not willing to, I know two guys sitting right here that will be more than happy to. Absolutely. Well, Andy, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Glad to be the first three time guest. That's on right. Number 50. Trifecta. Um, any closing comments or thoughts uh, that you. Yeah. I would just say um, for those of you with the Christian worldview, those who uh, follow Jesus, um, just continue to rely on him, raising children, whether they're teen boys, teen girls, young boys, young girls, it's hard. There's no perfect way to do it. No matter how hard we try, we're going to screw up. Um, but we have to remember how Jesus looks at us and he loves us unconditionally, no matter what we have done are doing or will do. And we have to have that same mindset with our children and the grace that we want to be given, we have to give out. And just don't ever forget that Jesus loves you and going to him with these struggles when you're having to have a conversation about your child having sex or getting pregnant or any of the things like none of this is surprising him. And so we have to remember as Christians, those of you who are who are listening to this, we have to go to him. He, he is the one who can sustain us and heal us. Yeah, that's good, man. I appreciate that. And if you're still on here and you're listening and this was triggering, you know, go take a walk, go drink some water, go take some deep breaths, um, call your therapist, call a friend. Um, cause this stuff can be, can bring up a lot of our own childhood stuff. And as we learn and kind of peel back the layers in the onion, we go, Oh man, that is me. Or that was my experience. Or I didn't realize that was trauma or I didn't realize this was the case. Um, and we just want you to know there's help available. There's men and women here who can walk you through those things. Um, if you can't find a referral in your state or your area or your country, please email me at clintdaviscounseling at gmail.com, and we will go on Psychology Today. We'll find people on our CSAT network um, to help you and your family. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, Andy, is just, you know, this conversation's hard, mm-hmm. and it's nuanced, and, you know, we don't cover it perfectly. We don't sit here knowing all the answers, you know, when it comes to sexuality and boys and girls and all those things. 
And our goal is to just have the conversation imperfectly to start conversations. Yes. To start a dialogue, not to be uh, didactic and say, this is the way it is and you have to do it this way. But there are some things that we just want you to peel back and think about before we just live in a culture and a world in which we just assume it's fine and we don't understand or even ask, why are we doing these things? Yes. Why is this a thing? Mm-hmm. If we have great reasons for it and they're healthy and they're God-given and they're good for people, great. But we just should at least be asking, why is it that we allow our kids? Why is it that we allow this dress or this talk or this language or to watch these things? And we should have really robust, good reasons for it. So that's what I would challenge parents is just stop living with our heads in the sand. And 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 because we don't know or we're scared to do the wrong thing or because we're you know, uninformed about it, allowing things to go on get some help, get some information, call out for somebody who won't shame you, who won't think you're a terrible person. We all screw up. We all mess up as parents. No one's perfect. So don't let that keep you from asking questions and doing the right thing. So episode 50, I think that was a good one to, uh, to get it going. Um, guys, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, please share, uh, please email in with encouragement or questions. Um, we'd love to clarify anything. So if there's something that you didn't get or you didn't understand or you want inform- any more information about, please email me, Counseling at Gmail, and I'll be sure to say this is what we meant or this is what we were trying to say or you know, clarify any points. Um, we definitely don't mind doing that at all. So God bless you and have a good week.